All right, let's open our Bible to 1 Timothy. So Timothy, the, the book of 1 Timothy is, is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his spiritual son by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a pastor. And Timothy had received the call of God on his life at a young age. And Paul had taken Timothy under his wing. And Paul became, in essence, his father, his spiritual father. We don't know, um, we don't know um, a lot about Timothy in terms of who his real father was, other than we know that his father was a Greek. Um, and Paul was the major influence in Timothy's life. And Paul knew Timothy's mother, and Paul knew Timothy's grandmother, and obviously Timothy's mother and grandmother came to faith in Jesus Christ through the, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so Paul is writing this letter that we call 1 Timothy. There's two letters he wrote. He's writing this letter to Timothy, encouraging him. Now, our text today is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And in these verses, Paul is writing to Timothy, telling Timothy that there are certain things that we must give attention to more than others. There are things that we must not neglect. There are certain things that we are to focus on and to observe. There are things we are to continue in. There are things that we should make a practice in our life. There are things that we hear that will be for our salvation. There are things that we will hear that will be not for our salvation. In fact, they will be for our destruction. And we must be able and we must be willing to discern between what is life and what is death. As God told Israel in the Old Testament, I set before you this day life and death. Choose life. And Timothy, uh, Paul is echoing that admonition to Timothy and instructing Timothy in this letter. Uh, it's an apostle instructing a pastor and how to not only conduct himself personally, but how to shepherd the church of God. So let's uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, it will be our text today. Beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Father, we ask that you would take this word, this word of your gospel, and that you would implant it in our heart, that it would bring forth a righteous harvest, that you would take it and use it for your glory, 
Lord, as your people, we ask that you would do this and that you would do it to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we believe matters. In fact, what we believe is a matter of life and death. What we do with our belief is equally important. Because at the end of the day, what we truly believe is what we do. We can say we believe all kinds of things, but it's actually what we do that really demonstrates what we believe. And so Paul is instructing Timothy, Pastor Timothy, in these things. And in these verses, he begins there, in the, I, I included verse 12 here, where Paul writes, let no one despise your youth. Obviously, relative to the Apostle Paul, Timothy was young. Now, it doesn't mean Timothy was 17 years old. It doesn't mean Timothy was even 20 or 30 years old. It means that Timothy, relative to Paul, was younger. And Timothy, relative to many of the elders that he was dealing with in his church, in his congregation, he was younger than they were. So the word elder has a meaning that carries one who is older. And in Israel, elders were typically the older men because they had longer life experience. We come to the New Testament and we see that Paul is appointing pastors and elders in churches and it's not necessarily everyone 70 years old and above. And what really determined, and this is why we're not going to look at this today, but this is why Paul writes the qualifications for elders recorded here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And he tells them this is the qualification for an elder. And he doesn't mention anything about them being over a certain age. He mentions the qualifications that speak to their character, that speak to their ability to know the word of God, teach the word of God, discern the word of God, discern what is truth from false teaching. And so these become the qualifications for eldership for shepherds and pastors in the flock of God. So obviously Timothy was younger than he was older, and there obviously were some that might have thought that he was too young, or maybe in bringing correction to an older person, there was an issue of respect there because of the generation gap. Paul is telling Timothy very clearly, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. This is exactly what Paul writes to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1, God says to Jeremiah, um, Paul didn't write it, God, uh, the pro God inspired the prophet Jeremiah. And God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and he says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I called you a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah comes back to God and he says, but I'm just a youth. Jeremiah was a young man. And God says, it doesn't matter that you're a youth. What matters is I have called you and I put my word in you and you will be a fortified city of iron to those that you speak to. In other words, they can't hurt you. Well, they might 
inflict physical harm upon you, but they're not going to be able to kill you. And they did everything to Jeremiah except kill him. And the only reason they did not kill him is because God would not allow them to take his life. And this is a similar thing that Paul is telling Timothy. Don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, and in spirit. In faith, in purity, till I come. And then he gives him this instruction. Give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Give attention. Paul specifically instructs Timothy to give attention to three things. To reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And his command reveals the importance that these things hold, not only for Timothy, but for those who will hear Timothy preach the word. Paul says these are important for your salvation and for the salvation of those who will hear you. When we read things like that in the Bible, we need to pay attention because this word was not written directly to us, but it was written directly for us. So what Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy applies to us today. We should give attention to these things, to reading. This specifically speaks of the public reading of Scripture. Now, that doesn't exclude the private reading of Scripture, because how is Timothy going to get up and read and then expound on and teach and preach and exhort from the Scripture if he has not already privately read the Scripture himself? And Paul is telling this pastor, do not fail to give attention to reading the public reading of Scripture. This is why we read from the Bible in our church services. This is why now we have a call to worship in which we read the psalm. This is why we read from the Scripture so that you don't just hear my words, my... This is why I don't get up and tell stories and jokes. Because we're not here to hear stories and jokes. We're here to hear the word of God because my stories and jokes can't do anything for you except entertain you. They cannot transform you. Only the word of God can transform you. I'm not here to hold your attention. I'm here to equip you for the work of ministry. And only God through his word can equip you for the work of ministry. For those of you that have ever been in the military and you've been to boot camp, guess what the drill instructor doesn't do? He doesn't spend all of his day telling you jokes and funny stories, does he? Because that's not why you're there. You're there to get prepared to go to war. And anecdotes and jokes and funny stories don't prepare you for war, do they? No, they don't. Let me read something to you in Paul's letter to Timothy here. Paul writes this in Timothy chapter 1. Sorry, computer person, this this wasn't in my notes, but I want to read this. He says in chapter 1, verse 18, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. Remember, this is not Paul's biological son. This is Paul's spiritual son, but he loves him and he affirms him 
as a son in every sense of the word. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. He says, this, I char- this charge I commit to you, that you may wage the good warfare. What was Paul telling Timothy? He was telling him, you're in a war, son. And Paul would not have been a good father. He would not have been a good apostle if he would have not prepared his son to go to war. I would not be a good pastor if I do not prepare you to go to war. Whether you realize it or not, church, you're in a war right now. Some people are just now waking up to this reality. And who knows what America will have to come to? Who knows what the church in America will have to come to before she fully realizes what she is engaged in? And I promise you, in that day, all the jokes and all the great stories and all the entertaining sermons are going to mean absolutely nothing because they will not equip you. They will not prepare you. They will not sustain you for the warfare and the battle that you will face. But this word, this gospel will. And this is what Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, give attention to reading the reading of the scripture, the declaration of the scripture for those hearing you. It was a vastly different world than what we live in today. Today, you might not bring your Bible to church, but more than likely, it's not because you don't have a Bible to bring. You might not bring your Bible to church because you don't bring it. But I would be willing to bet it is the exception if there's anyone sitting in this room today that does not have a Bible they could bring to church with them. In Paul's day, that was not the case. There was no New Testament when Paul was writing this. There was just a collection of letters that had already been written. And who knows if they made that to Timothy or not. And so Paul writes a letter and the letter is delivered and and Timothy is reading the letter to the church and the church is hearing the word of God because they're hearing Timothy read it and preach it. Give attention to reading, to the public reading of scripture. Luke 4, 16. We know this was the practice because in the synagogues, this is what the Jews did. This was their practice that they would publicly read from the Old Testament scriptures. They would read the Psalms. They would read the prophets. In Luke four sixteen, after Jesus comes back from his temptation in the wilderness, he comes to Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue, the, probably the synagogue he grew up in. And it says in verse 16, Luke chapter 4, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And you know what he read? He read from Isaiah chapter 60. And he closed the book and he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Now, if we're not careful, we might think that Jesus went into the synagogue and said, you know what? I'm going to read them Isaiah 60 because, because that's who I am. It's, it's about me. No. That was the reading for the day. That was the public reading for the day. Now, think about that for a moment. That was the public reading for the day. It wouldn't have mattered whether Jesus would have been there or not. That's what the attendant would have read in the synagogue. You want to know what it says? Let's turn over there. I'll, I'll read it to you. Because it's worth reading. It's actually Isaiah 61, verse 1. Jesus takes the book, the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he said, the fulfillment of this scripture has been accomplished in your hearing today. As was his custom, he read from the scriptures. Acts chapter 13, 27. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning them. In other words, every Sabbath in the synagogue, the Jews would read the prophets and the prophets would speak about Jesus just like Isaiah 61. How many, how many centuries was Isaiah 61 read in the hearing of those Jews in synagogues all over the land? And yet one day Jesus walks in and he reads it, and he fulfills it. And no doubt, at the very same time Jesus was reading it in Nazareth, there was someone else reading it in other synagogues across the land. But guess what? It was fulfilled in Jesus, not because Jesus personally read it that day in Nazareth, but because Jesus came to earth, and he is the fulfillment not only of Isaiah 61, but of all the law and of all the prophets. In Acts 13, 27 is saying the Jews read it and they heard it week after week after week, yet they did not hear it. They did not believe it. Yet through their condemning of Jesus, they fulfilled the words of the prophets. It's like we always say, you're going to be used by God one way or the other, like Peter or like Judas. They were both used to bring about God's purpose, just in very different ways. And you want to make sure that you're Peter, not Judas. You don't want to be used like Judas. You want to be used like Peter. So we need to hear what God is saying. Acts 15, 21, for Moses had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, give attention to reading. Don't stop 
reading the scriptures as part of your worship, as part of your instruction, as part of your equipping the saints for the work of ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, but the minds, their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I used to take that that scripture out of context on a regular basis, I would quote just verse 17 to give you the, to make you feel at liberty to dance or to lift your hands or to be really active in your worship. That's what that scripture meant to me as a worship leader. I'm confessing my sin to you right now. Do you get this church? That scripture had nothing to do with singing or dancing during a worship service. That scripture has to do with whether you can hear with ears, with hearing ears, and see with seeing eyes the word of God being presented to you, being read to you. And Paul is saying Israel has a veil over their hearts. They're blinded to the, to the gospel. In the verses preceding that, it says, the God of this world has blinded their eyes that they may not see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And he says, even today, as the scriptures, as the prophets are read throughout the synagogues, a veil lies over their hearts. But where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where Jesus is, the veil is taken away. And when Jesus removes the veil from our eyes and from our hearts, we can hear and we can see and we can receive the good word of God. And guess what it will do? It will change us. It will transform us. Sitting in church and hearing the word of God and hearing the preaching of the gospel is meant to change you and to transform you. If it doesn't, you need to pray that God would move on you, that you would be changed. Because if you're not changed by God's word, by God's gospel, there's a problem. And the problem is, it's not the responsibility of the messenger, except that he is to deliver the true message. It is the message of the gospel that matters, not the messenger. Not the method of delivery. It is the gospel that is the power of God. Give attention to reading. The reading of the scripture. Again, this is why we read from the scripture in our churches today. Reading from the scripture is one thing, but hearing and obeying what is read is another. And we are called to read the scripture, to give attention to that, because we are called to hear and to obey God's word. He says, give attention to exhortation. The word exhortation literally is the calling of someone alongside to help. The primary meaning of this word in the New Testament is, is 
urging someone to do something. So what am I doing? I'm urging you to do something. What am I urging you to do? I'm urging you to hear God's word. I'm urging you to obey God's word. I'm urging you to believe God's word and to live your life accordingly. This is the point of our preaching. This is the point of why we assemble together. This is the point of you being equipped for you to actually go out and do what you've been equipped to do. You're not waiting for the war. The war has come to you. It's here. It's been here. You were born into it. The question is, what are you going to do about it? And people can live ignoring that reality and pretending like it doesn't exist, but we're living in a world where that reality is harder and harder to pretend it does not exist. Exhortation is preaching. It's calling and challenging. It's encouraging and consoling the believers to do something. It's a call to obedient action in response to the word of God that's being read, that's being preached. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul writes, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And I'm not talking about you being able to tell the future or tell someone what their social security number is, even though they've got their card in their wallet. That's not, that's, that's, that's not biblical prophesying. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Prophesying is preaching. Exhortation involves prophesying, which simply means to speak and exhort under inspiration. That is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We want to prophesy or speak from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the surest way that we can prophesy and speak from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to speak God's inspired word. Do you know how the best way I can make sure that I am speaking to you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? It is to read to you, to speak to you God's word. It's not me having some mystical experience before I get here to make sure I'm under the inspiration of the Spirit. It's, it's that I make sure that I have been spending time reading myself, meditating myself, studying myself, filling myself with this Word so the Spirit can take the Word in me. And as I deliver it to you, it's, it's consistent. It is true to what God has given to us. That's how we prophesy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. By prophesying, by speaking God's inspired word found in the Bible. John Gill writes, prophesying is not so much the gift of foretelling future events. 
though there was such a gift bestowed on some persons in those times and in certain cases was very profitable to the churches. But a gift of preaching the word or explaining the prophecies of the Old Testament and of praying and singing of psalms, that's what prophesying is about. It's about preaching and teaching and expounding on the word of God so that you can hear it and you can be moved by it. So we see that the reading of Scripture in public as well as in private is part of exhortation. Unless we give attention to reading the Word, we will not be equipped or prepared to give any effective exhortation from the Word. In other words, we will have nothing to preach or to prophesy if we do not have the Word of God in us. And I want you to understand this is not just true for pastors because pastors are not the only ones who are tasked with preaching or speaking the word of God. We all are as believers responsible to preach, to teach, and to speak the word of God in some form or fashion, whether it's parents preaching and teaching and prophesying to our children, discipling them in the things of God, or whether it's visiting with a co-worker about the gospel or spiritual things. How many times do people maybe come to you and, and, and the conversation is just shifted in that direction? You think that happens by accident? God creates those opportunities for us. And if the word is in us, we need to let that word come out of us. And we become the prophesying, preaching vessels of God, communicating his word. And it's not you or me that's changing anyone. Please dispel that myth. I don't have the power to change you. You don't have the power to change anyone. You are not called to change anyone. I am not called to change anyone. It is God's word. It is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. It is God in his word that brings the change. We just bring the message. It is the message that will change us, not the messenger. So give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Doctrine is very simply teaching and instruction. Doctrine is a word that has fallen out of favor in many churches. In fact, there are churches that pride themselves in not being hung up on doctrine. Yet Paul commands Pastor Timothy to give attention to doctrine. In fact, Paul warns Timothy that he is to take heed to himself and to the doctrine that he is teaching and ascribing to. The teaching and the instruction of the church is vitally important for salvation. It is important for our own salvation and it is important for those who hear us. Paul commands Pastor Timothy to continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. In other words, if Timothy is preaching, exhorting, reading, false doctrine, what are the people hearing, receiving, and being instructed in? False doctrine. And if they're being instructed in false doctrine, they're hearing and taking in and believing the lie. Well, that affects his salvation and the salvation of those hearing him. Because God does not have a good 
future for false teachers. In fact, it's pretty scary what God says he will do to false teachers in that day. And you don't want to be a false teacher. And you don't want to be on the receiving end of false teachers. Well, how do we prevent that? Well, Paul says, give attention to reading the scripture, to exhorting, preaching and teaching the scripture, and to the doctrine taught in the scripture. The teaching and instruction of the church must come from the word of God, the scripture. To neglect that is to put our own souls and the souls of those hearing us in jeopardy. So he says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, by the laying on of hands of the eldership. This is how Timothy knew that he was called to this. The Spirit of God moved on him. But then the eldership, Paul, his spiritual father, and the eldership in the church affirmed that gifting in Timothy. And Paul is telling Timothy, don't neglect the gift that is in you. God would say the same thing to us. The grace of God is a gift that he's given you. The word of God and the gospel are gifts that he has given to you. Faith is a gift that he has given to you. It lives in you. It resides in you. Don't neglect the gift of God that is in you, that has been given to you. But continue in those things. He was commanded to continue reading, exhorting, continue in the doctrine of the scriptures. Paul was so clear on his commands and warnings in this because he understood that as the doctrine of the church goes, so goes the church and so goes the culture. This is Paul's point when he warns the elders before his final departure to Jerusalem. It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 20, verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. For the to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn every one night and day with tears. He warned them what was coming, but he prepared them to face that when it did come. Jesus also warned the church about doctrine and false teachers. Matthew 7, 15, Jesus declares, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They never come dressed like wolves. They are wolves dressed like sheep. They look good. They sound good. But they don't have good intentions and they don't have good doctrine. In Jeremiah's declaration of judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem, he also gave a word of promise concerning the types of shepherds that God would one day raise up. Jeremiah 3, 14 and 15. Jeremiah 
declares to backsliding Israel, Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Shepherds who will feed you with knowledge and understanding are shepherds who are giving attention to reading and exhortation and to doctrine. Proverbs 2, 5 and 6, the proverb says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Where does knowledge and understanding come from? It comes from the Lord's mouth. It comes from his inspired word. Proverbs 9:10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Without knowledge of God, there is no understanding and there is no knowledge that can do anything for us except puff us up and give us a false security. Doctrines that ignore the fear of the Lord are not rooted in the knowledge and understanding of the Lord. These are the winds of doctrine that toss to and fro foolish and sinful men who lie to themselves and to others. God calls his shepherds to feed his people with knowledge and understanding that comes from the inspired truth of God's word. And as the shepherd that has heard God's word gives heed to the word of God, he speaks God's word. He calls God's people to hear the word of the Lord and to heed the word of the Lord. God in turn calls his people then to disciple others to hear and to heed his word. I preach to you that you may be equipped so that you can go out as disciples of Jesus and you can in turn make disciples of Jesus. You bring them back here to be equipped so that they can go out and make disciples of Jesus. Do you see the multiplication? Do you see this is how we came to be in this room today in Taylor, Texas? Because somebody took the word of God seriously and obeyed it. The question is, are we going to take it seriously and are we going to obey it? It's not for someone else to hear and obey. It's for you and for me to hear and to obey. And so Paul specifically instructs Timothy to give attention to these things, reading, exhortation, and doctrine. He says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. He tells him, do not neglect this gift, but meditate on these things. Meditate on the word of God. Meditate on the things you've been commanded to do. Meditate on the gift that is within you. Give yourself entirely to them. Timothy was to have no other priority greater than this, for this is who God had gifted him to be. The command to meditate on these things was not simply a command to think deeply on them. That's not what the word meditate means. Paul goes on to instruct Timothy... Timothy, that he is to give himself entirely to them. The word meditate here conveys a much deeper meaning than to just ponder on something or, or to give something mental assent. It means to act on, to perform these things with care, to continue to do these things, to diligently cultivate and to give 
complete attention to these things that he's being instructed to do. Paul is not commanding to just think, but to practice obedience, practical obedience to the gift and the calling that God has placed on Timothy's life. When Jesus commands his disciples, which includes all of us, go therefore and make disciples, how do we do that? Do we just know that that's what the word means? Or are we to actually practice that? Well, parents, you've got the perfect environment to practice that with your children. Because the greatest disciples you'll ever make will be your children. And the first disciples you should be working to make are your children. But do we stop with our children? No. Paul the Apostle was never married and he didn't have biological children. But he had spiritual children. And he went out and he discipled men and women. He instructed them in reading and exhortation and doctrine so that they could in turn go out and instruct others and make disciples. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Take heed. Keep close watch. Pay close attention to yourself and to the doctrine of the church. That's a direct commandment to me as a pastor that I need to pay close attention to myself and to the doctrine that I am giving to you, the church. The doctrines Timothy was to teach the church were to be the doctrines by which he lived. Paul makes sure he commands Timothy to take heed to himself before he takes heed to the doctrine. The life of the pastor should be according to the doctrine he teaches the church to observe and to obey, and both should be in accordance with the scripture. Paul says, continue in them. This is not preparation for an event. This is preparation for a lifestyle. These are things we continue in. This is continuous in the life of the believer. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul writes again to Timothy in his second letter, but you must continue in these things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. We have learned these things from God, from the Lord Jesus, from the Holy Spirit, through his inspired scripture, and we must not forget them or forsake them for any reason, not even popularity, not even peer pressure. We need to remember them. We need to continue in them. For in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Continuing in them will be our salvation and the salvation of those who hear. I can't overemphasize this enough. That you continue until the end. That you continue in these things until the end. What is being proclaimed by the church will either save those who hear or it will lead astray those who hear. The Methodist Church just made a huge announcement that they are softening their stance on abortion. And people read that and people think, oh, well, it's okay then for me to soften my stance on abortion. No. 
No. I hope that you would have enough of the word of God in you that if I got up here and preached a doctrine that opposed the word of God, you would call me out on it. Because this is not about a denomination. This is not about men. This is about God. This is about his eternal truth. And we are called to be people of his eternal truth. And we better be prepared and equipped to stand against the onslaught of the enemy that is coming. And that onslaught is growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And how well prepared you are is going to be manifest in the coming years. I promise you that. I'm not a prophet. I'm not predicting the future. I'm just telling you what is plain to see, what's happening right now. One of the, really the most important job of an elder, of a pastor, of a shepherd, is to be able to spot and call out false doctrine. You men who filled out your connection cards and next Sunday evening at 7 o'clock we'll have a meeting of those men if you say what are you talking about and you're interested in learning about eldership it's not going to make you an elder because man can't make you an elder only God can but the point is that the church has got to be equipped as it moves into the generations it's got to have men who know the word of God, who are not afraid to stand in the word of God, who can spot false doctrines and false teachings to protect the flock of God. To stand against the warfare, the onslaught of the enemy that's coming against the church of God and God's people. This is what Paul is commanding Timothy to do and who he is commanding him to be. One who will stand. One who is not ashamed of the gospel, who knows that it is the power of God to salvation. People can only hear the truth if the truth is being spoken. Timothy was, and so are we today, to fear God more than we fear men. To take heed to ourselves and to the doctrine we ascribe to. We must do this because we are the body of Christ. We are the people of God. We are the church that Jesus himself has promised to build. Amen. And as the body of Christ, you have been invited to God's table. And every week we come to this table, we are reminded of what Jesus has done for us. But it should also remind us of who we are. We are the body. We are his people. We are his children. What Timothy was commanded to be is who we are commanded to be. And when we come to this table, we should not only discern the body of Christ around us, we should discern how am I being the body of Christ? How am I fulfilling these things? How am I being salt in this earth? How am I being light in this darkness? Is my light dispelling darkness or is my light indeed darkness? Well, you'll know by whether it dispels or not, whether it joins or whether it dispels. 
salt and light we are to be. So I invite you, church, to come to the table as you trust in Jesus. Here's your charge. This letter was written by an apostle to a pastor, pastor of a local church. We are not all called to be pastors, but we are all called to give attention to those things that make for our salvation and the salvation of others. We are called to give heed to ourselves and to the doctrine we ascribe to. We are called to speak the truth in love, not convenient lies that tickle the ears of the hearer. We are called to not neglect the gifts that God has given to us. Your faith is a gift from God. Do not neglect it. We are called to focus on and to make a practice of God's word and of the doctrines of our faith. We are all called to continue in these things that are for our salvation and for the salvation of those who hear and see our lives. We are, we are all called to these things because we are all called believers. In this room, you came to that table because you call yourself a believer, a child of God. We are called to these things because we are the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus. We have heard, now may we obey.